Welcome to School Choice Report, where we explore everything about one of the most important education topics. I'm your host, David Hardy. In this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, educators, and parents to get a deep dive into the world of school choice. Whether you're an advocate, skeptic, or just curious, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with the conversation. When you talk about charter schools and school choice, one of the people, one of the groups who has been really good at analyzing their success or lack thereof has been the people from Credo. Credo has been a very big player in in the whole idea of analyzing schools and school performance. And today we have with us from Credo, Dr. James Woodworth. Welcome, Dr. Woodworth. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here. So familiarize our listeners with the, with the background of the Credo Report. You know, it's, it, it's, it's been it's of historic relevance here. They had one about 10 years ago, one about five years ago, and then one recently. And they, they have been pretty accurate, in my opinion, about the way things look in Pennsylvania. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, Dave. So Credo has done a number of studies, both national studies on charter schools in general, on online schools, some state-specific studies. But the ones that people are most familiar with are national studies. The first one was actually in 2009. And we undertook that study because, you know, part of the whole bargain, the idea behind charter schools is, is flexibility in exchange for accountability. And in order to have accountability, you have to measure how people are doing. You have to measure how the kids are growing. And so Credo undertook that first study in 2009 to, to take a look at this. And quite honestly, those results were not very uh, positive for the charter industry at that mm-hmm. time. In 2009, charter schools, the students who attended charter schools were not growing as much as their TPS peers. And Credo pointed this out and brought it to the world's attention. You know, it started, I think, helped start the conversation. As you said, we did another study. We did a follow up 10 years ago in 2013. By that point, we had found that charter schools were doing, students, students who attended charter schools were doing significantly better in reading and had similar growth in math. So now in 2023, we've now done the third national charter school study. We are included in this one, uh, 31 states. And we find that charter schools are, in fact, doing significantly better in both reading and in math. Kids who attend charter schools on nationally have an average of 16 additional days of learning and reading and six additional days of learning in math. So we've seen a pretty, you know, substantial increase, about 22 to 23 days from that first study in 2009 up to 2023. So why are people so so adamant to attack charter schools when you see that kind of growth? Well, so there there's a couple of aspects to this. First of all, this you know these numbers we just mentioned are national numbers. Mm-hmm. They're also averages, which means there are some schools that do better, some schools that do worse. Sure. We see, we see some states have fantastic results. For example, Rhode Island, Students who attend charter schools in Rhode Island gain an additional 90 days of learning in a 180-day school year. Wow. That's yeah, a half that's, a year. That's a half a year of school. Exactly. It's as if those kids had attended school for an extra half a year. Right. In other states, though, those results are not as good. Um, students in Oregon had significant negative growth if they attended a charter school. Mm-hmm. So there, it's not a monolithic 
structure. It's not that all schools do the same. There are good charter schools. There are charter schools that aren't good. Now, as far as why people attack charter schools, there's going to be a certain amount of animosity toward anything new. It threatens the status quo. People who are invested in the status quo, of course, are going to attack something that they see threatening their way of life for some of these folks. You know, I was on a radio program with one of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Raymond. And one of the things I remember her saying, it was really, I think it was pretty important. And she said that we can't start attacking schools by the sector. <laughs> that you have to take, if a school is failing, you need to go, you need to try and give it immediate intensive remediation. That should be the, the result of a failing school. But to go around saying we need to chop off sectors is not the way to go. And that's exactly right. Look, you know, again, not every charter school does better. The majority of them do. We know that in in math, thirty in math and in reading, thirty six percent of charter schools outperform their traditional public school peers. In in now in math, about twenty five percent underperform their traditional public school peers. In reading, it's only seventeen percent that underperform their peers. So you know that's absolutely the case that not again not every charter school is is a is a strong positive growth school. But the majority of them, on average, are, and we see that when we look at the percentages, that the majority do at least as well or better than their traditional public school options. Well, here is the other thing, and I know this is true of the other studies, and I think this is is still true, that the poorer and the more minority the school, the, the more dramatic the differences with their peers. Absolutely. That's absolutely the case. Um, what we find, and we found this before in previous studies, we actually did a specific study where we looked at urban charter schools back a few years ago, is urban students in charter settings tend to do better than they do in the traditional schools. In the rural areas, it's not as much. We find that black students, Hispanic students, students of poverty, ELL students, all tend to do significantly better when they attend a charter school than they do when they attend a TPS, a traditional TPS. With those kind of numbers, with those kind of results, why is it that we need to have more? We need to have more school choice. We need to have more charter schools. And I, you know, I, I actually think that we should look at the ones that aren't performing well. And like your colleague said, put them under intensive remediation. But I, I think most people in the charter school sector understand that there will be some schools that close for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. And that's the, that's part of the principle of charter schools. You're, yes. You're supposed to, it's supposed to be a, a area where you try new things, you have flexibility, but again, flexibility in exchange for accountability. And if charter schools are not performing, then they should be, they should be closed. They should be revamped, redone. And the same should be said for traditional public schools as well. I'm glad you said, you said we, that. <laughs> you said we need more charter schools. What if we just had more charter-like schools? What if the traditional public schools took lessons from the charter schools in their area and applied some of those concepts that work to their schools? You know, I always felt like this. <laughs> it were, I, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would say to my colleagues, you better get this right because, you know, the public schools are going to figure this out sooner or later and come after us. But you know what? I never see it coming because of the change. And the change, the change that they have to make 
is number one, they have to give people the chance to pick the school. And we have a, a, a public school system that assigns kids by address. So that would, that's one thing. But the other thing is that there would be schools that people would leave immediately. We have schools in Philadelphia who 90% of the community that's supposed to go to that school go to another school and the school is filled with people who come from across town because they don't like their school. This is, this is the kind of strange things that happen in public education. And I, you know, I don't understand it. Well, I, I mean, I definitely think that school choice is a, is a good option. I think parents should be able to find what works for their kids. Again, as I said, you know, education, the schools are not monolithic. There's no such thing as a school system. There are, there are different systems or they all have different qualities, different characteristics. There are different schools and they have different qualities and characteristics. And what works for one student may not work for another. And so giving families the option of finding what is the best fit for their child is just a policy that makes sense. Not only will it help improve education, but it'll also help improve the outcomes because the whole purpose of education is to enable people, enable kids to live successful, happy lives and be citizens, you know, good citizens of the country. And the way you do that is by giving them the foundations through a good education. And I'm sorry, but whatever it takes to get that good education, whatever it takes to help those kids is what we should be doing. You know, it's supposed to be about the kids, not about the adults. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the perception of, a, of charter schools and charter school student profiles versus the reality of schools and their student population? So, you know, it's interesting. We we often hear people make the claim that charter students are cherry-picked, that they, you know, that the charter schools only take the best students. We looked into that in this study. We found it's not the case. There was very little evidence of cherry-picking. In fact, what we found was typically charter students have lower academic performance, the students that actually go into charter, than the students that remain in the schools those kids came from. Can I, can I interrupt you there? Sure. Doesn't that make sense? The kids who weren't doing it at the school are the ones who leave. Doing well at the school are the ones who leave. The kids who stay are the ones that were doing well at the school. Yeah, of course it makes sense. And, you know, that's it, again, that's the way choice systems are supposed to work. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I didn't mean to cut you off at that, no, that no, point. No. I didn't want it, that to escape my audience. <laughs> so as we said earlier, you, you know, we see better growth for for black students who attend charter schools, better growth for Hispanic students who attend charter schools. And we also see that the percentage of students who attend charter schools reflect that. So there's a higher percentage of black students enrolled in the charter schools than were enrolled in the traditional public schools they come from. Some people will argue that that could, that that contributes to um, segregation, but if the student and their family are choosing the school, because that's the better fit for them. And it happens to be, Less a less diverse school is is that really a problem? I mean, is that actually something to be concerned about when it means a kid gets a better education? Well, you know, I, I ran a charter school here in Philly, and I, I got that because my school was like 90, 98, 99 percent African American males. But if you looked at the schools that those guys would have attended, they were 98, 99 percent African American. Of African American anyway, so I mean I don't know what the difference is. Well, and that's exactly what you t we tend to see happen. Look, ch charter schools most commonly are located in urban settings because 
That's where the kids who need the most help are. Now, not every school, obviously, is in an urban setting, but a lot of them are. And this is where we see these criticisms of where people will, will argue that you have, well, you, you've increased the, the segregation in school. But like you said, oftentimes, yeah, you increased it by a percent or two. Mm-hmm. But it's not like kids are going from a, a you know, a, a racially balanced, diverse school into these charter schools. They're coming from schools that are highly segregated as well, because a lot of our traditional public schools, because they are address based for attendance, they're also highly segregated. People tend to forget that because what the people do is they'll look at the whole district and say, well, this is what the district's districts are, but they forget that individual schools don't look like the district. Right. So, yeah, that's the other thing. Another trick that they play is unfair comparisons. If you're comparing a district average with a a neighborhood school or you, you compare a state average with a school that draws from a single neighborhood, that's just not fair. But but here's the other, here's another area that there's some controversy. Charter management company, uh, charter management organizations versus the standalone mom and pop charter school. It looks like as far as performance, charter management organizations have stronger results. Is that true? Yes, that's true. In our study, we find that charter schools that are part of a charter management organization have significantly stronger growth than the charter schools on average had. Mm-hmm. And we see that through both the existing CMOs, ones that have been around for a while, and new CMOs or new schools that open within CMOs, both. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and it makes sense if you think about it. These are organizations that have already kind of cracked the code. They've already figured out what works for some kids. And so they're able to replicate that. And so, yes, overall, we do find that, that there is a significant benefit to attending a charter school that's part of a CMO. Not every CMO. It's not monolithic. There are differences. There are there is variation in there. What is there any benefit to a standalone charter school? Well, pretty much every CMO came out of a standalone charter school. So if if you don't have those mom and pop startups, you're never going to be able to say this one is successful. Let's replicate it, and that's because that's how you get CMOs. And there are many mom and pop charter schools that are that are you know have positive effects too. And overall, the 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 Standalone charter schools also had significant positive effects. So it's not that there's, you know, that they're bad on average. It's just they're not as good as the CMOs on average. Well, if you uh, if you look at the the landscape of, of public education moving forward, what 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 does the horizon look like? I mean, we've just been through this pandemic and this almost parent revolution that's going on. What do you see? How how do you see this thing playing out? Well, I mean, you're kind of getting off the study here, and we're, we're really moving away from data into opinion on that question. I understand that, but I, I would I would think that it's it's a somewhat informed opinion. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a little room to to speculate a little bit. Well, I like to think so. Like I said, I think you know we we can see in different different systems what works. We can see in charter schools, which in fact was actually their their initial purpose. Part of the whole idea behind charter schools to start with was the idea that they would be laboratories. They would be places to experiment. That's why they were given flexibility to see what worked and what didn't. And so what I would hope will happen in our education system, as I've said earlier, is that 
any school, regardless of if it's a traditional school, a charter school, or even a private school, will look at what's working within these charter schools that are successful and say, what can we learn from these schools? I spent 11 years as a traditional public school teacher. I was constantly trying to learn from my colleagues. I was constantly looking to people who did things better than I did and trying to, to get ideas from them. I would hope that we would see that within the education system. You know, education took a really hard hit during COVID. That was a huge challenge. I'm very glad that, honestly, I was not in the classroom during that because it would have been really tough. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to those people who who had to go through that. But now we have a generation of kids who basically lost a year of schooling. And we need to make it up. And we're not going to make it up, just keep doing what we've been doing. We have to do something else. We have to find things that work, and we have to get them applied. And quickly, because these kids only get one chance at their education. Well, one of the things that I think has been an issue is that people talk about, there's different opinions about learning loss and how you mitigate that. And I, I always felt like coming out of covid Kids needed a whole lot more school, and I don't know if they're getting enough. Well, you know, Credo did a study around pace of learning, uh-huh. and where we looked at basically, you know, what are these additional, what does a, a little bit of tutoring every afternoon do as far as making up ground? Mm-hmm. And the simple fact is, it's just not enough. You know, if you, you know, let's say you go to more school, okay, so kids are in school, let's say they go to school an extra three weeks a school a school year mm-hmm. okay they lost a whole year mm-hmm. okay so they lost you know 36 weeks of schooling so even if you give them an extra three weeks yeah, that's too much basically making up you know it's going to make up part of the 36 weeks but it's not going to get there right. so again these kids are they're falling short they're being they're not getting the same amount of education that the kids pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic will get. So again, we've got to come up with something beyond just doing a little more of what we're doing. We have to push, we have to find new ideas, new ways to reach these kids. Charter schools, I mean, Rhode Island charter schools are getting an extra six months per school year, or you know, 90 very, days out of 180. Very so impressive. So obviously, there's something there that can, be, that can be gathered to help accelerate the learning to make up for what was lost. Yeah, you know, then that that that's something else that, that that brings another point. Now, if if going the extra time doesn't make it up with an extra year of school, I mean, do, should we have held these children back? Would that have done? What would that have done? Well, you know, I, I mean, it's it's a, you could argue that well, if they lost a year, you give them an extra year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough to keep some kids in school even for the twelve years. I understand that. Going to the 13th year, you might have serious dropout problems, and the kids that are dropping out are often the ones who really need the most to be there. So I think it's you got to be careful with, uh, again, ideas that are, as, you know, just to say, hey, we'll just tackle another year. Plus, there's the cost. The cost of doing that would be monumental. I, I was listening to a, a, a school board member on a radio program one time, and she was talking about the differences in kids. And she was kind of speaking off the cuff. So she said, you know, some kids could use an extra year of school. We should have it so that if you need an extra year of school, you could do it. And that was talking from an emotional, let's help the kids side of her brain. 
when she got over to the school board side of her brain and put the brakes on all that kind of conversation because she thought start thinking about how much it costs. Okay. So, but I think that it is really true that with kids being so different, to expect them all to perform on that 12 year cycle that they call school, I think that's, that's unfair. Sure. I mean, there are kids who, um, master the material faster than others. There are kids who need, who need a little more time to master. And there's, you know, there are, there are education programs that are built around mastery instead of just seat time. You know, the whole idea of seat time. Look, you know, here's the thing when you're, and this is something you learn as a teacher. You have to try to go at a speed that you're going to keep most of your kids are going to understand what's going on. You also have to try to keep the advanced kids learning, but also not lose the kids who are, who are a little behind, who need a little more time. It's tricky. It's very hard to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, an education system, again, that is one size fits all is, you know, isn't going to work because everyone is different. We do have variation in our kids. And so, again, this is where school choice comes into play. Let families pick the school that works for their kid. Maybe a school allows an extra year or two for those kids that need it. Maybe there are schools that advance kids quicker for the kids who, who get it and they can, they can move along faster. Well, you know, that, that to me seems to be the real bugaboo about American education that we seem to want to keep it so that it all happen in one building and, and one group of people can do it in, in a, a country like the Netherlands, they got 36 different types of schools. I think we could use 36 different types of schools I think our kids would benefit from that. Well, again, you know, we, we get to see some of that in the charter world. So, again, look at charter schools that are working. Look at who they're working for. Copy that. Apply that to the traditional public school system. Again, that was kind of the original idea of charters in the first place was to experiment and learn lessons that the traditional system could then take and apply. So there is no reason why exactly we have a single school type throughout this country other than that's just the way we've always done it. And, you know, and, and just because you've always done it that way, doesn't mean it's not an incredibly bad idea. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Well, Dr. Woodward, I'm glad you joined me today. One thing I want to say to you and the, to, to the people at Credo is we, we appreciate your objectivity. Uh, too much of the, the educational research kind of has a political bent. And that means on our side and on the other side, too. I think it's too much of that. And I think you guys have been pretty, pretty straightforward with your with your with your research. And you've been honest about it. And to the point where I'm sure it makes you unpopular with some people. But the fact is, the truth shouldn't hurt. <laughs> the truth should be what the truth is. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that, Dave. You know, our mantra at Credo is we let the data speak. There you go. I'm going to end it on that. Thank you very much. This has been the School Choice Report. See you next time. That's it for today's episode of School Choice Report. I hope you found the conversation enlightening and informative. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at schoolchoicereport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is David Hardy signing off. Thanks for tuning in.